Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PMNR Report. It is an honor and a pleasure for me to introduce our distinguished guest today, Dr. Alberto Eskenazi, who serves as the chair of the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at Moss Rehab and Albert Einstein Medical Center, and Chief Medical Officer of Moss Rehab, as well as Director of the Gait and Motion Analysis Laboratory. Dr. Eskenazi, welcome. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for uh, hosting me here today. We had a really um, informative uh, lecture today um, where Dr. Eskenazi presented on a gait assessment and orthotic prescription um, gait assessment is definitely something that uh, uh, sometimes we take for granted and it's very important to understand um, when it comes to um, improving the function in our patients. So um, I want to start off with um, gait analysis labs. So where are we when it, um, in regards to um, gait labs and what does the future hold? Um, gait analysis laboratories tend to be uh, important tools, particularly if we are looking at the idea of using uh, them really as a clinical, uh, as a clinical assessment tool. Um, the the idea of using um, a laboratory is not different than what you do with anything else when you use um, additional. Uh, assessment tools. What you're doing is quantifying in a very precise manner how the individual moves, um, how this person walks, and then um, making an assessment of what the problems with their gait pattern is. Mm -hmm. And then from that, uh, using the information that you gather to create a treatment intervention uh, program. Gait laboratories also allow you, because of its quantitative nature, to then assess how well your intervention has mm -hmm. impacted the patient and then use that data to essentially create a feedback loop to say, I need more intervention, I don't need more intervention, um, the person mm -hmm. is doing fine. Great. <clears throat> and um, how often do patients um, come in to gate labs? Um, so gate laboratories are not available everywhere, uh -huh. so they tend to be um, a more uh, specialized tool. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea behind uh, these laboratories is that you need to have dedicated space, you need to have yeah. dedicated equipment, and then you need to have usually dedicated staff. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a, a, a small facility may not be able to uh, support such a, a specialized um, 
uh, evaluation center. Um, so the, the idea is that, um, at least I encourage people to think um, that as they are assessing clinically their patient, mm -hmm. if they can make a clinical judgment of what the problem is and appropriately address it, then there's no need for a, a laboratory. Um, not different than when you're doing an assessment clinically and you want to know if there is a bone fracture. If you can make that assessment without um, radiographic uh, interventions, then you're fine. But if uh, you're unsure and you can't see clearly what the mechanism uh, or the pathology is, then you need that additional testing. And so the x-ray would be in one hand, uh, gait analysis would be in the other um, mm -hmm. as an equivalent tool. And we briefly touched on this during the lecture. If, uh, if you don't have the dedicated space to do a gait assessment uh, and you have a really tiny um, uh, clinic, um, what is the best, most efficient way to um, at least attempt in doing a gait assessment? So what I usually do is uh, I tell uh, clinicians that what they need to do is come up with a... a a space uh, that they can mark as an area of uh, assessment. So uh, we know that walking velocity, walking symmetry are important metrics um, and that if you are able to document those, mm -hmm. they will tell you quite a bit about how your patient is, no matter what the diagnosis um, that brought them to you mm -hmm. uh, was. So if the patient has back pain and cannot walk well because they have back pain, mm -hmm. um, and you make an intervention and they improve uh, in their back pain, you expect that walking is going to improve. And walking is a functional outcome. It's really something that it's unique to uh, physical medicine and rehabilitation. Um, in general, uh, you know, we want to know that what we are doing is having a functional impact. Uh, it's making persons uh, with health issues um, better deal with what they need to do every day. And uh, that's really the core value of physiatry. Mm -hmm. um, where would you say uh, the technology is currently um, for assessing gait? Uh, you talked about kinematics and, and 3D um, imaging. Um, and what areas um, need improvement? Um, so when you think about the more sophisticated analysis of walking, meaning looking at how an individual moves and what their muscles are doing, then you need uh, quite sophisticated instrumentation. <clears throat> uh, that instrumentation has definitely improved over the last uh, 20 years, and it's getting better. Mm -hmm. It also is getting less expensive, and so laboratories that used to cost you know, half a million dollars now can be set up for uh, a fifth of that, um, having really very um, accurate uh, data acquisition. Uh, but it still requires a uh, laboratory setup. And uh, what I see in the near future is that we're going to have uh, markerless laboratories where you won't need to have uh, a specific setup, that you'd be able to um, uh, set up this in a small place, mm -hmm. record the data, and then send that data back for remote assessment by, quote, an expert, not different than when you see a, a, an x-ray or an MRI and that um, is being read by someone remotely. remotely. Right. And so mm -hmm. that's going to happen. Um, sensorless mark uh, or markerless uh, 
data recording is already in place, but it's not very precise. So if you look at things like an Xbox, mm-hmm. uh, when you're playing against uh, one of those games, you're essentially measuring some of the um, motion in a gross manner. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to improve as technology improves. That's going to be refined, and we're going to be able to do more of that. There are also uh, very inexpensive sensors uh, that are now um, becoming available that you could place in different parts of the body and use those uh, to measure movement. Um, that you combine with um, uh, electromyography that it's now wireless um, that allows you to record. Uh, I just recently uh, saw an advertisement for um, shorts and T-shirts that mm-hmm. have embedded recording devices for EMG Interesting. for athletics oh. so that you can see if you're quote, working out your muscles correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how precise they are, but you can see that now you have an app on your phone, you have a T-shirt or a pair of shorts that have this embedded systems. So you can and, see what you need to work on. And exactly. Or am yeah. I working well, well, in the right, right muscles? Right muscles, correct. Uh, yeah. Again, I don't know how reliable yeah. it is, but, uh, you know, the concept is there, and mm-hmm. I think that uh, it will be something we can carry on. Great, great. Um, as... As far as orthotic prescriptions go, um, can you briefly touch on um, what you specifically look for when you're writing prescriptions? So, I, um, as I commented on the lecture, I really look at orthotic prescription no different than when I write a prescription for a drug or um, uh, any other uh, medically necessary device. And uh, so, I, I want to communicate to the a brace maker to the orthotist in a way that he mm-hmm. or she will clearly understand my message. Uh, so I want to be able to tell them in biomechanical principles, what is that I'm trying to do? Am I trying to assist dorsiflexion? Am I trying to control knee hyperextension? Mm-hmm. So I want to prescribe in as biomechanical terms as I can so that there is uh, a clear communication. Uh, I tend to be someone who's very uh, meticulous about how I write my prescriptions, including mm-hmm. you know the thickness of the plastic and uh, the type of plastic that I'm using or the the resistance of the carbon graphite that I want. But uh, th- that is not uh, expected of everyone. But I think that in general terms, mm-hmm. you need to be able to give a descriptive biomechanical prescription that says this is what I'm trying to do. And then with the help of the brace maker, with mm-hmm. the help of the orthotist, arrive to the correct prescription. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, there are uh, too many choices of different joints and too many choices of different mm-hmm. plastics mm-hmm. and too many choices of different biomechanical approaches. But if you understand the principles, then you'll be able to arrive to the correct prescription. Um, I also like to understand clearly what is that uh, the patient needs? You yeah. know, what, what Individualized is, yeah. to the patient's needs, yeah. So that, that I, I understand what their problem is, when their problem is occurring in the gait cycle, why is it occurring, and then how can I really provide a solution to it? Do you see patients who come back to you and say, uh, Dr. Eskenazi, there's something else that I want to accomplish as mm-hmm. far as my day-to-day functioning, and do you see yourself changing the prescriptions and, and, and modifying orthotics yeah. as a result of it? Yeah, that's a, a very good question. Um, you know, sometimes you uh, assume that what you're trying to solve is uh, mm-hmm. uh, one thing, 
And then the patient uh, comes back and says, yeah, that was great. It helped me pick up my toes mm -hmm. when I'm walking uh, on level surface. But when I try to run, that brace really doesn't cut it. Uh, and so you say, oh, I was not thinking about running. And so mm -hmm. you have to go back and revise your prescription. So again, you need to understand what, uh, what is the patient's goal mm -hmm. and then uh, how you're going to address that. You know, it's not the same to have a brace to walk on level surfaces at home uh, that it is to have to walk you know, when you go hiking or when you uh, try to go running. Um, or if the patient wants to go to the beach, or if the patient is trying to drive. So mm -hmm. you need to understand all of those uh, particular details of the individual. I don't think it's any different than what we do when we prescribe um, any, anything else, some medications to, uh, mm -hmm. to therapists, uh, but uh, you need to really understand uh, the why and how you're doing that. During your lecture, you also talked about uh, a three-point pressure system. I was wondering if you can expand on that a little bit. So in general, braces are biomechanical devices. Mm -hmm. um, as such, what you're using are biomechanical principles. And to control abnormal forces, uh, what you try to do is use a three-point uh, system. And you may remember that from physics, uh, in, uh, in which if you have um, levers, uh, you're pushing in one direction as mm -hmm. close as you can to the point of correction of a mm -hmm. joint deformity or a, um, a joint misalignment. And then you have uh, two more distal points um, opposite to that to serve as counter forces. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's uh, known as a three-point pressure system. Mm -hmm. um, why do you use three points? Because you can spread pressures much more effectively, mm -hmm. because you can leverage the uh, forces in a more efficient manner mm -hmm. and because you hope that uh, in that way you will have less uh, potential adverse effects from a brace. So if mm -hmm. I push you with um, a single finger mm -hmm. uh, in one place, if I push hard enough, you'll feel that as uncomfortable pressure. But if I spread and my hand and push you with my whole hand, I've changed that from being an uncomfortable pressure to being pressure that you can tolerate. And so that's the principle behind this. Mm. Is it usually one above and one below as far as the three point? Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's hard to understand exactly yeah. where the three points are. Mm -hmm. But yes, the, the intention is you want to have a point of pressure as close to um, where the rotation will occur. Mm -hmm. And then one point distal and one point medial. I mean, at one point uh, proximal. But uh, uh, what happens frequently is that you run out of leg or arm uh, when you're trying to do that. Mm -hmm. you know, think about your finger. I think a finger is a perfect uh, uh, system to understand that. If you're trying to correct the flexion deformity of a finger, mm -hmm. you have very little room to put three points of pressure. Yeah. But you, in fact, can do that if you do it mechanically appropriate. And so you will put one point on top of the joint and then um, one point um, distal and then one point proximal on the opposite side of the, uh, of the finger. And so you can use the same principle all mm -hmm. across. Um, what uh, type of pathologies do you see in clinic? Uh, um, I know it's uh, uh, probably no, a loaded question, but... That, that's okay. That's a, I think it's an excellent question. Uh, so, um, I actually got into uh, gait analysis. Uh, I always say that I got into gait analysis through the, um, the back door um, of this stage. And the reason I say that is because uh, my interest was uh, always in understanding prosthetics. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, 
as I looked at artificial limbs, I said, oh, I need to understand how people walk in order to understand artificial limbs. Mm -hmm. And so I started to look at how people walk and got into gait analysis. Mm -hmm. When you look at gait analysis, uh, the, one of the major causes for gait dysfunction are neurological disorders. And so I had to learn about stroke and brain injury and spinal cord injury. Mm -hmm. And then uh, one thing led to the next. Uh, I realized that in order to do that, you needed to understand orthotics. And so I learned about orthotics and then about spasticity and then about, uh, you know, neuroorthopedic surgery. And so that brought me back to the idea that really gait um, analysis was a tool that uh, addressed a variety of uh, diseases and disorders. Now, as the population ages, one of the things that we see uh, frequently are patients who have either neuropathies um, because of peripheral neuropathy, mm -hmm. a great number of diabetic patients, um, or uh, because they uh, have developed spinal stenosis and end up having uh, a compression that produces weakness or deficits uh, more distally. And so lots of those patients uh, come to seek help um, as a result of those pathologies. And then lastly, uh, uh, we see a great number of patients with um, orthopedic complaints, uh, you know, runners that have knee pain or individuals who um, uh, have had uh, joint replacements because they were very active and uh, required, as a result of arthritic changes, mm -hmm. um, a replacement. Uh, but even after the replacement, they don't find themselves being able to function at the high level they expect, and so they come for us to look at them and to figure out that maybe there is an issue of um, adjustment in the alignment of uh, the way their joint was placed when they had surgery, or uh, deficits with muscle weakness right. that still remains, or uh, with limitations in range of motion. And so you work around those areas. And uh, again, the quantification of uh, all of these parameters allows you to kind of sharpen your skills and look at it from a different perspective. Great. Um, what uh, message do you have for our residents, uh, faculty here? Um, I'm not sure that I understand the question. Oh, well, I mean, but that's okay. I, uh, I will give it a crack. Um, so I, in I regards see, to gate. Oh, in I regards see, to gate. See, I was going to give two different <laughs> messages. One uh, had to do with um, when you think about uh, gate assessment and orthotics, and uh, the other one is really related uh, to uh, the place where you are mm -hmm. as a uh, work and learning place. Mm -hmm. And so I'll, I'll take advantage and give you both. Mm -hmm. um, so in regards to gait analysis, you know, use your clinical skills, your, your use your eyes, use your brain, um, really assess patients in a methodical manner where you look at a patient from the floor um, up or from the head down, uh, but use a consistent method to assess patients. Um, Use uh, that skill set, not different than any of your other clinical uh, skill sets. And then be meticulous and be cautious as you prescribe an orthotic device because you're prescribing something that, uh, just like any other medication, has the potential for an adverse effect. Mm -hmm. And you know that when you're prescribing something, even if it's as simple as an aspirin, you run the risk of uh, an adverse effect. And so when you're prescribing a brace that may be as simple as a, a dorsiflexion assist brace, you are already um, potentially creating um, a problem. And so think about it clearly. Um, 
Don't be shy about asking for help when you don't know the precise way to address a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and that's true not only for orthotics or for gait assessment. Um, in general, you have good mentors, so be sure that you reach out to your mentors and uh, others that may be able to help you. Um, in regard to uh, where you all are training and working, I think you have a fantastic uh, place, not only um, because of its uh, uh, name recognition, but because it truly has uh, fantastic people that have worked here for uh, some years and that have really uh, created a structure that is um, focused on improving the care of individuals mm -hmm. uh, in the training of young physiatrists and uh, also in the research mission of the institution. And so you're in a, in a very privileged uh, circumstance and you should never forget that. Um, as far as research, uh, what research are you currently involved with? Um, so my areas of research are um, as varied as my areas of clinical interest. Um, we uh, just published a couple of papers on botulinum toxin um, and its use in uh, spasticity and muscle overactivity. So uh, just last week we got uh, mm -hmm. uh, a paper published in, uh, in uh, PMNR, uh, the Purple Journal, and then we'll mm -hmm. have one more coming up shortly um, in the Journal of Neurology. So we're very proud about those achievements. Um, we have uh, uh, just published data um, on um, our robotics trials. I've been involved in robotic rehabilitation now for the last uh, uh, ten, uh, 10 years, um, we at Moss Rehab were able to uh, really have the privilege of being the first uh, site uh, uh, anywhere in the U.S. to uh, get to uh, test uh, exoskeletons and do the pivotal trials for exoskeletons that really serve as the, um, the basis for all of the uh, approvals for the rest of the exoskeletons in the market now. Um, we've worked primarily with spinal cord injury patients for those mm -hmm. exoskeletons, but we're moving into other arenas. Mm -hmm. And then as the development of those um, large trials with robotics, mm -hmm. um, we've been working on robotics in traumatic brain injury rehabilitation, and so we've done work uh, mm -hmm. looking at the mechanism different um, uh, robotic gait training systems uh, used for uh, improving gait in traumatic brain injury. And uh, now we've moved recently to look at uh, ways in which we can improve uh, effectiveness and efficiency using uh, robotic care in um, very acute stroke rehabilitation. So we're dealing with patients with um, upper limb and lower limb impairment as a result of stroke and uh, working with them uh, and uh, giving them robotic interventions very early in their, in their rehabilitation care. And then uh, finally, we're doing some work uh, in prosthetics. So we are looking at the impact of different uh, lower limb components mm -hmm. um, in uh, prosthetic rehabilitation. So uh, looking at different feet design and feet construction uh, to do that and how they affect walking. Great. Well, Dr. Eskenazi, uh, it has been a pleasure having you here. Thank you for taking the time to uh, meet with me and, uh, and uh, giving a very informative uh, and very interactive lecture today. Thank you very much. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you very much.
Ladies and gentlemen, as we close another session of our podcast, I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.